Lord, I thank you for today and the opportunity to be at uh, Community Baptist Church LaGrange for, I don't know, eighth or ninth year in a row, I suppose. Uh, I thank you for this uh, church family and community. I thank you for this great nation of ours. Uh, we do pray for it and offer up uh, intercession on behalf of it. We pray for uh, repentance in our nation. I pray for our time here today and tomorrow. Use it for your glory. Encourage us. Give us some truth to hang on uh, to today to uh, offer us uh, discernment and also offer us uh, courage and some tools in our tools box as, as we go and uh, minister to others as ambassadors for Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5 mentions. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, uh, the title of my talk is something to do with uh, gay interpretations of the Bible. Okay, and so there's so many different directions. You guys probably will have questions at the end about dealing with uh, homosexuals or those in the homosexual lifestyle. Um, and so many different directions the whole argument goes. Uh, but I have tried, I've had to narrow this uh, presentation to the biblical text. A, because the topic of homosexuality is far too broad to do in, you know, 40 minutes or even 140 minutes. It's far too broad. There's too much material out there now. It, it is just anything you want to know, any sort of resources, pro or con, they are out there uh, by the, the Bukus. Uh, books on Amazon galore. YouTube, myriads of videos, pro or con, debates discussions, churches going in all different directions on the homosexual debate. And, uh, but as a, a biblical studies guy, I, I'm concerned now that the uh, argument has turned, or a lot of uh, uh, pro-homosexuals, uh, homosexual advocates have turned their guns uh, toward the actual biblical texts. that seem to have traditionally speak very clearly about this topic. Now, I'm going to use this term and, and any more because I have this compassion toward the lost in general and people in general. I'm going to just use the term gay, gay and homosexual because that is what gay and homosexuals refer to themselves as and they would prefer you talk bluntly and straightforward with them instead of, you know, are you, uh, you know, in, in that alternate lifestyle? Forget all that. They need to see you being real and being you as a Christian. And if you're a Christ follower, your love for Christ is going to come out. Don't be scared to talk to this people, they, these people, that is, homosexuals. They need you if you are a Christian. Uh, they need you in their lives. Okay? They want you in their lives. Um, you just need discernment and you need to share truth with them. You know, regardless of how they're going to react to you at first blush, that might be bad. Um, and it might be your fault that you approached it too bluntly, but um, if you keep coming back to them and they can see the compassion in your heart, uh, then that will be a good thing. My concern, my personal concern as a uh, New Testament professor and a pastor and a husband and a daddy of two little girls, one who just turned nine last week. My concern is that I am seeing too many Christians 
caving in on the entire topic. Too many Christians are they're following the PC route, the politically correct route. You're not helping anyone by doing that. In fact, your problem is, is Proverbs 29-25 says, The fear of man which brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So be leery about fearing man. You have the truth, so be encouraged. Have courage. Okay? So let, let's get straight uh, to uh, what I want to talk about. There are five or six uh, major, well, let's run through these cultural mores. So what we're looking at right now is if one calls a homosexuality a sin or immoral, gays will call that person homophobe, intolerant, bigot. The problem though now is it's not just gays, it is the entire culture and even Christians, which drives me batty, calls a person a homophobe. Well. Can't we call them heterophobes or bibliophobes or Christophobes? Um, uh, they, uh, they call us intolerant. Well, aren't they being intolerant of my views? Right? And we need to, we need to come back with that. The, the uh, most popular Bible verse in the world that people used to hold up at a baseball game on a big poster was what? John 3.16. Well, now the most popular verse in the world is Matthew 7 verse 1. Judge not, lest you be not judged. And if you've ever watched Frank Turek on his cross-examined ministry, uh, you can check this out on YouTube. I actually have that clip somewhere. I just haven't put it in this slide presentation for some reason. Um, the problem is when people say that, all you need to do is ask a question, are you judging me for judging you? Because at that point... They should be able to understand that they are judging you. So don't let people get away with that stuff, okay? And uh, so anyway, you have this going on. Um, one per the fact is, maybe as much as 2% of the U.S. population is actual homosexual, practicing homosexual. That's not a lot of people. The problem is, the reason they have been able to change the laws in our nation is because they've screamed loud enough and long enough about it. And unsaved people and undiscerning Christians have got on board with it. Therein lies the problem. The problems in this country have always fallen at the doorstep of the church. And I'm a pastor, but I'm saying that that's the case. The churches have uh, uh, not done their job. Individual Christians have not done their job. Last July of 2015, same-sex marriage was okayed by the U.S. Supreme Court. We know this much. But that is not enough. Now, I call the ACLU, it's called the American Civil Liberties Union, but it no longer has anything to do with civil liberties as in race issues from the 60s. Uh, it is really an anti-Christian union. Uh, they are now persecuting, suing, defaming, and bullying. Uh, bullying, yes, bullying. Because why is it that the ACC and the NCAA, these are sports teams, sports fans, why is it they can choose now who, what state and who they're going to do business with, but Christians can't choose who they're going to do business with, right? The cake makers, the florists, you, you can't choose. You're bullied into that. Uh, and you're bullied into shutting up uh, or you'll be sued. We'll make you pay. Fiscally, financially, we'll make you pay. That is the attitude of the homosexual agenda. Not every homosexual that you know, but the agenda itself. 
And I actually have two first cousins, I'm sorry, I have an uncle and a first cousin who are gay. And oddly enough, both of them, they have the same first name and they're like on two different sides of the family and from two different parts of the world. But yeah, that's not literally part, two different parts of the world. But uh, anyway, um, okay, I need to move on or I'm not going to get through. Um, da -da 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 -da. Actually, if I, uh, the effects of homosexual behavior on the homosexual are now being blamed on the non-homosexuals. Do you get that? This is a fact. You can YouTube Matthew Vines. We're going to see, might get a chance to look at a, a video clip today. We'll definitely look at a quote. He's written a book uh, called uh, God and the Gay Christian. The Gay Christian. Gay and Christian are oxymorons in my book. Uh, but God and the Gay Christian, and he actually says that homosexuals their problem is the non-homosexual who you know have called them names and this has just really got under their skin and into their psyche and they need therapy because of it and you know many more will not come out of the closet because they're scared of their family you know Thanksgiving dinner table are going to you know shun them or call them names or whatever that type of thing and again Christians are confused about what's right and wrong there are about, I actually have, um, how many do I have here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven major passages in the Bible. I'm just going to deal with five because uh, these two are kind of going to go together and these two uh, to go together just because the use of the same terms and concepts. So I'm going to look, we're going to look at five major sections of the Bible and what homosexuals are now actually saying about the biblical text. But first of all, biblically, the Old Testament is, a, uh, uh, is um, looks like this. Homosexual, homosexuality is against God's design and purpose. That much is given in Genesis 1 and 2, right? God created them male and female. Y'all heard Richard Howe using this big philosophical term, well, a lot of those. Uh, the telos, the purpose of why God designed male and female. It was because they were uh, complementarian uh, bodies. Well, bodies physically, but also psychologically, emotionally, every other way. Right? Uh, you know, a, a little child uh, falls and gets hurt. Who do they go crying for, usually? It's mommy, not daddy. It's mommy, generally. I mean, uh, mommies just have been given by God certain things to offer the child that the daddy has not, and the daddy's been given certain things to offer the child that the mommy has not. And, um, and of course, lesbians and gay men now are adopting children to raise, and I'm thinking, which that's been going on for a long time. Incidentally, there are testimonies also out there of people in their 20s and 30s now who are coming out saying, I mean, they're, they've gone through therapy, they're saying, this was not good for me. And describing the kind of home life they lived in and how they were brainwashed in this sort of thinking. But when I hear of or see gay couples with a little child, especially two women, I'm thinking, just what the world needs, another child raised without a daddy in the home. I mean, haven't we already seen fallout from that? For the past 30 years, it doesn't work too well. Okay, um, then there's the wrath on Sodom, Genesis 19. Uh, 
Homosexuality is an abomination before the Lord, Leviticus 18. By the way, uh, there's this general argument that used to go around a lot, especially with young teenagers and, uh, well, adults as well, but this is kind of a sophomoric argument. Uh, that's the Old Testament law, aren't we under grace? You know, that type of thing. But listen, um, there were different kinds of laws in the Old Testament. Okay, there were ceremonial laws. You take the sheep, cut the throat, bleed out the blood, fillet it just so and offer it on an altar. These are ceremonial laws. Then there were dietary laws. Don't eat shellfish, all these things. Catfish are out because the fish had to have scales and fins. So I would have been breaking God's law last night. I ate catfish. Second time this week I've eaten catfish. I love catfish. Um, so there were dietary laws. There were ceremonial laws. There were civil laws. If someone's caught red-handed in adultery, you stone them to death. That's why in John 8, these men were upholding the law. The, the uh, civil law. There were moral laws. Don't commit incest. No bestiality. In fact, I think a very strong argument against homosexuality, I'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag for the Leviticus 18 passage. A male shall not lie with the male as he does with the female. It's nestled right in between no incest and no bestiality. These are moral laws. These were never abrogated in the New Testament. In fact, they are repeated in the New Testament. So these are grace laws, if you will. They are for us. Uh, today. That's my look at the moral law issue. Uh, and uh, anyway, just to keep it simple. Alright, Jesus affirmed... And here's another big argument I'm running into nowadays. Jesus never mentioned homosexuality. <laughs> well, Jesus also didn't preach against pedophilia. Is that okay? And the answer is a big fat no. Okay, so it is not... Just because Jesus didn't mention something specifically does not make it okay. That argument does not hold water. That's very lame and you need to just tell people. That doesn't work, dude. Okay? Jesus actually affirmed God's design of... From the beginning of creation, He created them male and female. Aner and gune. Male, female. Also, the New Testament condemns lifestyle. Now, I'm going to come back to the specific uh, five sections, okay, and, and show you actually... I'm going to quote it here, what homosexuals are saying about the passage. New Testament condemns the lifestyle in several passages. Alright. Matthew Vines uh, on the issue... Now, I'm going to come back and do the verses in order, but this is still introductory for right this minute. Matthew Vines... Uh, young gay guy, he came out like 08, 09, and man, all the, uh, the mainstream liberal churches all over America are inviting him to speak and just tell how, isn't it so wonderful that God still loves you and you can be a gay Christian and celebrate that. This is subtitled, The Biblical Case in Support of Same-Sex Marriages. 
I'm sorry, same-sex relationships. Jesus indicates in the Sermon on the Mount that good teaching should bear good fruit. The consequence of the evangelical church's categorical rejection of same-sex relationships have been anything but good. Higher likelihoods of depression. See, here it is. He's blaming this on Christians or non-gays or people that speak out against it. Uh, higher likelihoods of depression, illegal drug use, relationship brokenness, and suicide. And, and if you stop right there, my first thinking was when I read that, all that was going on in the gay community before you he heard a lot of talk about it. In fact, violence has been big in the gay community as well. Um, whose fault is that? Uh, from the jealousy and stuff, oddly enough. Um, those are all red flags, says Vines, that opposing same-sex marriage isn't the best understanding of Scripture. That bad fruit was the main reason I felt I needed to take a closer look at the Bible on the subject. Now, he's got problems here, but his biggest problem to me as a, as a, 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 a um, student of the Bible is how he has taken Jesus' teaching on bearing good fruit and bad fruit and applied it to something it, it just that was not what was being talked about in the context but you guys probably know that having sat under Pastor Jeremy for years here perhaps uh, brand new book right here uh, I recommend it uh, actually Bobby Conway is the one minute apologist if you go to YouTube one minute apologist he just got the actually Richard Howells on there for several clips now some of them go for one minute literally but some of them go for a like three or four minutes, but it's still good. It's a quick answer to whatever. Bobby Conway just wrote this really small booklet. I don't know if I brought it or not. No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, I did. Really small booklet. It is titled, Does God Exist? And 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible. And he says, as hard as it may become in terms with, the Bible is clear regarding its teaching that homosexual behavior is not God's plan. And lo and behold, he cites three of the main, no, four, four of the main passages I'm looking at. Yet in an attempt to satisfy their own desire or to appease the culture, many would-be interpreters seek to make the Bible say otherwise. This kind of eisegesis must be avoided, dot, at all costs. If you've ever met Bobby Conway or seen him on YouTube, probably not anybody. He's probably 50. He's from California, though. And I mean, you know, the, the spiky hair, the bracelet. I mean, he's a 50-year-old that dresses like a 13-year-old. You know, and uh, the ratty jeans. Really great guy, though. He pastors right over there in, uh, near Kannapolis, Concord area. Um, I've met him at the National Conference on Christian Apologetics a few years ago. Um, check out his videos. Great, good stuff, hard-hitting, quick answers to your questions. Uh, this book is very uh, critical. Uh, man, uh, Baptists and other Christians, I'm a Southern Baptist, so that's my reference point when I talk about individual Christian groups. Baptists, man, we should have been required to read this long ago. Uh, the Homosexual Agenda, Exposing the Principal Threat to Religious Freedom Today by Sears and uh, Austin. 2003. Uh, they wrote about the end of tolerance, the weight of government, Laws changed to where that you couldn't trade as you would. 2003. Prophes this is prophesying what has gone on the past couple years. Um, 
But what they came, I don't know if they got, the first book that got gays really going in culture it was titled uh, After the Ball. You can imagine or preferably don't what the book is about, but it is a pro-gay book. And I think they took this from there. I can't, I can't remember. But they say homosexual, homosexual activists laid out six strategies. Talk about gayness. That's actually the word they use. I, I didn't make that up out of my former redneck milieu. This is the word they use, gayness. Okay, I, I use the term gayism anymore and people always laugh. And I'm like, no, this is, I mean this. Um, you know, sometimes when I talk, people think that I'm being uh, overly blunt or sarcastic or demeaning. And, but if you go into the Barnes & Noble coffee shop or into inner city Charlotte or somewhere and you talk with metro people, I can be me. I can be redneck and slow talking. I can be as blunt as I ever imagined. And they actually respect you for that. It's the sappy Christians in the Baptist churches that we've been programmed to be sappy and overly sweet and everything. No, people, the metros aren't like that. They're going to come back at you and they expect you to speak up and speak your mind as well. They're going to, you know. Uh, anyway, I'm digressing. Uh, anyway, you guys can read the um, portray gays as victims. You can read the six point. And as I was looking at this, I began to think maybe this is a strategy for revival in the nation. Why don't Christians use these six points and push these? Kind of change them up as need be. You know, do something. Do anything. Alright, here we go then. Genesis 1 and 2. God created mankind as male and female. Right? He created the man. He said, this man's alone. This ain't good. Let me create him a counter partner. In fact, for Christian women, there's an awesome book, uh, Creative Counterpart by Linda Dillow. It's on my top five. I, I'm sorry. It's at the top of the pile, actually. My wife and I read these books. I read uh, some of them. And when I teach and when I preach series on the Christian family. Linda Dillo, man, I just quote so much. Creative counterpart. Oh man, that's good. Good stuff. Um, a counterpart. Counterpart. That means equal but opposite. Okay? In every way imaginable. God stated in Genesis 2, 18 and 20 that it wasn't good for the man to be alone, so he made a helper suitable for the male. But the story, uh, okay, this is, um, I'm sorry, let me find my slide so I can tell you who's speaking here. I don't want to misquote and I don't want to give credit to where it shouldn't be. So let me keep up with my notes. This is how I do teaching at seminary too and preaching. I just keep talking and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be following some notes. Okay, this is the worst book out there on gay. This is the worst interpretation of the Bible. This little book titled What the Bible Really Says About Homosexuality by Daniel Helminiak, forward by John Spong. Uh, this, these people are just liberal. I'm, I'm telling you, these are rank, perverted. I don't recommend you read in this book. It will violate your mind. It's, I've been reading some. I was telling Pastor Jeremy and Allison this morning. I've I've been reading some crazy stuff, some filth. These 
kinds of people are filthy. These are the rank, just as bad as you can imagine. He says this, the story in Genesis. Now, G-I, G-I is the gay interpretation. When that's at the heading, I'm telling you what they're saying. The story is the only vehicle for conveying the religious point. The story of Adam and Eve, as such, is incidental to the point. Genesis is not a lesson on sexual orientation. Nothing in those two chapters suggests that heterosexuality, in contrast to homosexuality, was a concern in the author's mind. To read that modern concern to the text is simply to misuse the Bible. A similar analysis applies only to the other Bible, applies to all the other Bible texts about the love of man, of woman, and man for one another. However, oh, great book. What did I do with it? Paul Copan is a philosopher, Christian apologist guy. When God Goes to Starbucks. <laughs> Love the title. When God Goes to Starbucks. Subtitle is a guide to everyday apologetics. Uh, they say the Old Testament begins with the affirmation of the creation order, the goodness of sexual pleasure within the context of a husband-wife relationship. And this creation order, as opposed to homosexual relationships, is appealed to by Jesus and Paul. Yes! Both Jesus and Paul appeal to God's design at creation from the beginning in support of lifelong marriage between husband and wife as God's ideal and thus the context for human sexual activity. And he uh, cites these same Scripture passages. The redemptive movement of the biblical witness is uniform and unwavering. It offers no support for homosexual acts, end quote. I concur. I concur. Another gay interpretation, sin. Uh, okay, we're at Genesis 19 now. Y'all know the story, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality at all, but instead that of lack of hospitality. It was, in fact, a gross violation of the hospitality code. Now, I'm telling you, this is the answer to Genesis 19 for every pro-gay talk out there now. This is their go-to thing. You, you poor, ignorant, Baptist-raised Christian, you, you probably had a preacher who wasn't educated. You need to understand, see, this was Middle Eastern hospitality codes at play here. They were violating the hospitality code. Um, and, and by the way, I meant, I meant to uh, mention this. I know that uh, church-going people shouldn't really have to buy books, especially ones this big. <laughs> but this, uh, this was written by evangelical professors, John, brothers, John and Paul Feinberg. Uh, their dad was a Hebrew and Old Testament scholar named Charles Feinberg. The Feinbergs wrote this book called Ethics for a Brave New World. They've updated it now because they had to add a chapter on, they've added stuff on euthanasia, genocide, birth control. They had to add an additional ch chapter on homosexuality. There's now two chapters on homosexuality in here. And this is the best place to start uh, to understand all of the arguments about uh, born gay or not, uh, orientation or identity versus actual homosexual activity and all, all the ins and outs of the more technical arguments, uh, but they deal with the biblical text as well. This is the best place to start uh, right here. And uh, 
just to distill what they're answering here and then my howevers for each slide, okay? Uh, the gay interpretation says this Hebrew word yada means just uh, to know. They, the, the, the townspeople of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to bring the guests out of Lot's guests that had come to town to know them. It wasn't just to get acquainted with them. Yada doesn't simply mean that. Moses used the term at least five times in a sexual connotation. Now this is the exegetical work uh, the Feinbergs have done. I think this is where I got this from. <laughs> if the men only wanted to check on the credentials of the visitors for safety of the city, then the offer of Lot's daughter would make no sense. Exactly, exactly. If Lot and the hospitality code are the problem, then the judgment that fell on the city, I'm sorry, the judgment fell on the city while Lot escaped. Uh, anyway, I don't think I have the rest of that quote, but anyway, you s begin to see the point. And the Feinbergs ask, is it possible that the real problem at Sodom was rape, not the fact that it involved same-sex participants? If so, surely there were rapes in Sodom and Gomorrah involving opposite-sex partners, but God never rained down fire and brimstone for those rapes. Okay, next passage, Leviticus 18, about it's an abomination. Okay, the text just says that. Again, uh, perverted explanations of the scriptural text here. The point is that the Holiness Code of Leviticus held many access, prohibits male same-sex acts for religious reasons, not for sexual reasons. That makes no sense to me. Guys, I don't know if y'all know it or not, but I'm from eastern North Carolina. Okay, southern Nash County is where I'm from. That's the promised land <laughs> next to the real promised land. And in my growing up working in a tobacco field's mind, this makes no sense. The concern is to keep Israel distinct from the Gentiles. Okay, stop right there. Now in my educated mind, I'm thinking, yes, exactly. It was to keep God's people distinct from the perverted pagans that they had landed in the middle of their city, so to speak. Right? God told His covenant people going into the promised land, do not be like the nations around you. And the implication is that the only reason for forbidding male-male sex is concerned about uncleanness and holiness. Okay, so... There is a forbidding, a prohibition against male-to-male sex. Are you agreeing with that? This is gobbledygook at one level. However, the prohibition against homosexuality is first seen as an abomination. And secondly, it is nestled in between two additional abominations. The first being child sacrifice. I think I said pedophilia earlier. I was wrong. Child sacrifice. And the next, after homosexuality, is bestiality. Uh, Donald Volt, um, out of order. Homosexuality in the Bible in the ancient Near East says this, all action leads to, this is a however here, all action leads to some end and all actions come with consequences leading either closer to the goal of holiness 
or farther from it and moral responsibility is inherent in the quest. In the biblical writer's perspective, the quality of one's conduct is not measured by the relative or subjective standards of the moment. The rule is rather the eternal, immutable will of Yahweh is expressed in the law. He was arguing against uh, the type of thing you saw on the previous slide. Now, uh, Jesus, again, back to the Jesus thing. Jesus actually did teach on God's design, one male and one female. There's no place for the sin of homosexuality to fit in there. Now, I was going to play a video clip for sake of time. I had two or three video clips. I'm just not going to do those. But I do recommend uh, Michael Brown. Dr. Michael Brown, uh, I've met him, love the guy. He uh, lives in Charlotte. He is a, uh, a biblical scholar. He's a Messianic Jew. He's uh, also Pentecostal charismatic. Um, I've talked to him more than once. Uh, great guy, but he has a radio show. on. Uh, he runs the Fire School of Ministry in Charlotte. Uh, it's called... Um, but he's an apologist. He has a radio show call in where people ask or challenge questions. But he debate he debated Matthew Vines. Um, he debates. I saw him. Okay, y'all know there's been all these rallies in Charlotte past two and a half years on the bathroom bill and all this. So I've I've been to many of those in uptown Raleigh. And uh, one day there was a mosh pit up front by the stage. Y'all know what a mosh pit is. And again, for an Eastern North Carolina guy, this is a little scary, but a lot of gays and lesbians, I mean, and men, probably I'd say in their 50s, there were four of them, dressed in drag, dressed up like women, full makeup and everything, and big men too, big dudes. They were all up front with their little rainbow flags. Some of them had really big rainbow flags. Michael Brown, and one of them had a yarmulke, a kippah, so obviously he's Jewish. They look, uh, most of them look probably, they were the UNC Charlotte students age group, okay? And uh, really, wild, you know, the piercings, the spray painted hair, just, you know, uh, you know the, the demographics I'm referring to, the, the Starbucks type of Barnes and Noble type of hangout people. Not, not saying anything about y'all that like your $5 Starbucks coffee, you have at it. For five bucks, I'll have my two dollar and thirty nine cent Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Anyway, Michael Brown is right up in the middle. I, I'm watching the man. I'm taking a picture with my phone. I was like, "Oh, this is good." Michael Brown, he inspires me. I'm, I'm, I didn't do it. He walks right up in the middle of these guys and stands there forever. Just, I mean, they're in his face shouting, and he's just talking to them in a normal tone of voice. I, I could never do that when somebody's in my face screaming, probably. And uh, he, he's witnessing like fire to these people, man. Anyway, he's got a video clip about uh, one in particular where he talks about, look, Jesus has actually agree is actually agreeing. Yes, he doesn't mention the word homosexual, but he's agreeing with God's design for the sexes, male and female. Um, and again, I bring up uh, Paul Copan's uh, qu quote here. Uh, this is page 81 of When God Goes to Starbucks. It's a great book. It's top, it's cutting edge for questions we're dealing with. Romans 1 then. This is a biggie. Paul, uh, a gay interpretation. Y'all familiar with Romans 1, right? Listen, to me, nobody brings this up. 
but the discussion in Romans 1 begins back in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And then it goes to, into specifics. Gay interpretation says Paul did not realize that there were those with same-sex orientation. Homosexual acts would be a violation of heterosexual sex for those who are constitutional heterosexuals or so oriented. Do you hear what he's saying? He is saying that homosexual acts were only wrong for those who were heterosexuals and didn't like the homosexual lifestyle. But Paul is not, they say, condemning homosexual acts by those who are so oriented or homosexual acts between consenting adults. Paul is instead condemning... Okay, well, my question to that comment, though, Paul is not, they say, condemning homosexual acts by those who are so oriented. Uh, my, question, my challenge to that is, are you saying that uh, uh, there were... Um, well, I forgot what I was going to say there. I'm sorry. Uh, that one lost me. Okay. Um, Paul is act, far from condemning same-sex acts. Paul is actually teaching that they are ethically neutral. Guys, apart from all the meanings of the Greek terms and all that, the exegesis and syntax in the passage of Scripture, the general tone of uh, Romans 1, uh, 18 to the end of the uh, chapter, that 10 or 12 verse, the whole general tone, and it's described in graphic detail, women with women, men with men, committing indecent acts and things that is not natural for them to do. The whole tone of it is that these things are wrong and God does not like these things. The entire tone of the passage. But he says they're ethically neutral. How, uh, how does he just decide, nah, these are ethically neutral? Like heterosexual acts, homosexual acts are neither right nor wrong in themselves. They can be used for good or evil, but in themselves they are neither. There should be an N on the front of this word. They are neither. There is nothing wrong with gay or lesbian sex simply because it is homogeneal. That's what the man says. Um, this is Matthew Vines in an interview with... Uh, oh, one of his presentations you can Google was uh, one of the Google Talks, I guess for the Google Corporation. But anyway, one of his reviews for his book, God and the Gay Christian on Amazon, he says the first... Uh, Amazon's interviewing him. He says, first thing I realized... Uh, was simple but significant. The longest discussion of same-sex behavior in Scripture in Paul's letter to the Romans referred only to lustful behavior. The types of loving, committed gay marriages we see on a regular basis today are never discussed in the Bible. So, there you go. Here's my however. My however is just point blank. Romans 1.26 treats lesbianism. Romans 1.27 treats male homosexuality. They're fairly graphic, the language is, A. And B, again, the entire tenor of the passages is show the negative nature of these acts. Um, and as uh, the Feinbergs say, homosexual behavior is evidence of God's judgment on those who reject His revelation. Now, that's Feinberg. Now, that's an interesting point, what they're saying here. 
And that's actually how Paul argues in Romans 1, you know, verse 21 and following, roundabout there. That's actually what he's, he is arguing. People in their hearts reject God's design, the Bible. You know, a lot of them grew up in church, but they get rebellious in their heart. Now, granted, a lot of people go through horrible external circumstances. I actually have a video uh, queued up here in the hopper on YouTube of a young man who uh, was uh, raped repeatedly at a birthday party by men when he was in fourth grade. So he turned into a homosexual for many years. He's now come out of that and um, just talks about how he gave himself away to men and women for years. And uh, so we know a lot of people face external circumstances, but Paul is arguing about those who in their heart turn from God's revelation. And so they don't want God, so he takes his hands off, so to speak. And, you know, there's a downward spiral, right? In this passage of Scripture, three times you read this phrase, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over to a depraved mind to work out those things that are in a, a heart that has rejected him. So, like every other sin, it starts in the mind. That is why Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. Jesus said it is out of the heart that come uh, murders, adultery, just sin, sin of every sort. It comes out of the heart. We know this. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6. Um, now, 1 Corinthians 6 is very interesting. How many of you have uh, saw the uh, film? It's a 48-minute movie that Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron did last year um, titled Audacity. Anybody? Just you've seen it? Y'all haven't seen Audacity, the, the movie? AudacityTheMovie.com. You can watch it free on YouTube. I'm telling you, I ordered hundreds of these they have booklets, two different booklets. One's called God and Sexual Morality, and one's called uh, Audacity. And uh, man, me and people in my church, I was giving those things out like candy last fall and winter, summer, fall, and winter to people. It tells, don't read the pamphlet till you watch the movie. Don't even watch the trailer because it'll just spoil the ending. Just watch the movie. And it's, it's about uh, people in the gay lifestyle. And um, anyway, Ray Comfort brings up this point when he's interviewing people. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 starts out this way. Do not be deceived. And Ray Comfort asks somebody, why does God say don't be deceived about this topic? Because people are easily deceived about the topic. And uh, 1 Corinthians 6 says... Um, let me just read it really quickly because I don't want to be accused of talking about biblical things without actually reading the Bible. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. That is awesome passage of Scripture. Because we know 
as a historical fact that the city of Corinth was an immoral uh, hot mess. Immorality. Uh, prostitution, male and female. It was rank pretty much as worse as anything in world history that we know of. Corinth was bad. Paul tells the members of the church in this city as he writes to them, verse 11, such were some of you. You were all of this perverted, sinful, ungodly, criminal activity. You were in the mess of it till the gospel of Christ came to you and cleaned you up. You say, well, that's kind of strong language you use about a homosexual when you say clean them up. You're saying they're dirty. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. This is spiritual cleansing. This is spiritual healing. And this type of language we need to use with uh, homosexuals when we have their trust and have opportunity to talk with them one-on-one. -on -one. You can talk about this healing. They know they need it. You know they need it. Talk about it. There's spiritual healing in Christ. There's help out there. There's bukus of uh, uh, counseling ministries, hotlines to call, uh, therapy centers. In fact, up in the Northeast, last year, year before, they closed you know, a big one down. I don't remember the name of it. They closed one down, the government did, because uh, the gays got in behind it. They were mad that people were coming out of homosexuality through this therapy. And my, my simple point is, okay, close it down, but you're just proving the point. You know that these people can come out of this. And if they can come out of this, therefore, they were not born that way, and they know that that's the, the conclusion. But there are still many ministries out there for people to uh, look into. So, malakoi and arsenokortai are two Greek terms here for uh, effeminate or soft or uh, homosexual, homosexual in verse 9. However, your modern Bible translates these uh, different ways. Uh, and the gay interpretation is these terms are limited to male prostitution or uh, pederasty. Uh, uh, pederasty was in that culture... Um, rich or well-to-do men, you know, would bring young boys in their home or hire them and, uh, you know, they would educate them, but they'd also use them for sexual perversion. That happened a lot. Um, they say, these texts condemn wanton, lewd, irresponsible, male homogeneal acts, but not homogeneal acts in general. This is Helminiac, our friend again. Um, he says, Malakos simply refers to moral looseness or undisciplined behavior. As for our Senecortai, he simply says of the constituent parts of the compound word. But when the two parts of the word are put together, it is not clear what the word means. There is hardly a passage in Scripture that is more clear about what it's talking about than this passage of Scripture. It is graphic. It's nasty. I'm not saying God's word is nasty. I'm saying that they are clearly Paul is clearly defining perverted homosexual activity. It doesn't take a scholar to see that. James B. DeYoung in his uh, work, uh, Homosexuality, Contemporary uh, Claims Examined, uh, the light of the Bible, in light of the Bible and other ancient literature. Can't read the exact uh, oh, here. 
Contemporary claims examined in light of the Bible and other ancient literature and law. He says adult mutuality does not seem to be a modern phenomenon. And what is the context in which the term is used? The list says that these person, uh, persons will not enter heaven. Can it be the case that one who is only soft will be kept from heaven because of his softness? So he's just trying to use simple logic here that what Helminiac is saying here makes no sense in the context. You know, the judge, the awesome and magnanimous and massive and destiny-altering and uh, destructive uh, wrath of God that they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven is kind of overkill if this just means, you know, oh, these people are just wimpy, poor things. You know, that, that's not the context. What about the Wesley Hill types? Okay, you, might, you probably don't know this name. This guy wrote a book a few years ago titled Washed and Waiting. And then this year, just recently, he wrote in the journal for the, of the Evangelical Theological Society, Washed and Still Waiting, an Evangelical Approach to Homosexuality. His uh, kind of attitude is just that, uh, well, there are those of us that are suffering with same-sex attraction, um, and you know, we just are going to have to wrestle with that in our minds, but we're still Christians and we ought to be part of the church and uh, blessed and allowed in the church. You know, we have these same-sex attractions, but we're not going to act on it. You know, just let us still be part of the church. And that is one of the types of things that so many Christians are just buying into wholesale without any level of discretion at all. And uh, that can be problematic for so many uh, reasons. And um, my answer to that, my response is, look, you are not some special category of Christian, even if you are a Christian. Lots of people struggle. Maybe they were sexually promiscuous heterosexual before they became a Christian and they struggle with these thoughts. Yes, but they're not out here openly saying what they're struggling with and openly defending who I am. And this is, you know, it's just uncouth to do so, I think. And, and asking for special treatment or a special privilege and that type of thing. Now, yes, on one level, you need to be coming out and getting counseling and pastoral help and, or personal individual prayer warriors to help you with things. You need to be putting things like God's Word into your mind to get the trash out, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Good stuff in, garbage, good stuff out. And again, my final, uh, a final point is gay Christian is an oxymoron in my estimation. 1 Corinthians 6.11 is definitive. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified. In other words, you are no longer under the lordship of your sexual lusts. If you're a Christian, you're no longer... That no longer has mastery over you, Paul teaches in Romans 6, the whole point of that passage. Are we at the end of our time? Okay, and I'm... Uh, Eric Garner, uh, write down ericgarner.org. Uh, I met this man earlier this year. I actually did a video interview with him, but there was too much noise in the gym. I couldn't play it because it's bad uh, audio quality. He lives in Raleigh. He's a hairdresser in Raleigh. He's a former homosexual, lived with a man the whole nine yards. And, uh, but he goes, he will come speak at your church now. He's uh, uh, very, uh, strong, uh, Christian now. 
And um, there are YouTube links I didn't play today. Um, the CDC, I didn't put the stats up here. The CDC now still gives uh, stats on how many people in North Carolina have HIV and AIDS, how many male-to-male -male homosexual, they call it M2M, male-to-male. -male. And they have a list of uh, what causes homosexuality. And at the bottom of their list, they put in there people that call them names or think that their lifestyle's a sin and that's part of their problem. It's listed in, under the Center for Disease Control. I kid you not. Um, well, I need to be done because I'm out of time. Okay, thank you.